Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, this is Jamie from the Everything 80s podcast. So there's no way not to mention about what's going on in the world right now. And I usually pre-record these shows like way back, but now we're in the whole midst of this thing. So, you know, again, can't like gloss over the fact that things are tough, um, people are stuck, and it's just a message about, you know, staying safe, staying healthy, um, keeping everyone around you as safe as possible. And, you know, at the same time, Hopefully, like a, a show like this is a bit of a distraction in a good way. So this will probably be like the one sort of you know quarantine self isolation based show I'll do, and but still making it you know like an '80s fun throwback nostalgia <clears throat> pop culture list. So it'll be a quarantine watch list of some of like uh, my favorite things or shows you might not have seen before or new ones to catch up on or to remember. So that's just the quick message just to um, stay safe and hopefully you're doing well. Okay, let's go to the intro. So the one thing that is kind of crazy if you think about it is the amount of content that is available out there. If you look at, you know, just streaming services now, which is primarily how we watch most stuff. I'm like, that's probably how you do. I do as well. And I realize I don't watch even that much cable TV anymore, but like, look at just what's available streaming wise. You got Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. In Canada, we have uh, one called Crave. There's Disney Plus, HBO Max, YouTube Premium, HBO Now, Apple TV. Like there's, there's so much. So I'm picking things here that are um, movies or series and things that you maybe have not heard of or now's a good time to like re-catch up on them. So this is sort of in no particular order. I've got nine different ones here. So the first one, The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, which was on Netflix. And I hope you got to watch this when it came out because this Dark Crystal reboot is astoundingly good. It's a visual masterpiece. Like this is something you could watch with the sound off and it's that good. It's, um, it, it's one of those things like I'm amazed you know, Netflix is such a good deal as it is. And it feels like it's something you should be charged extra for how good this show was. So if you don't know The Dark Crystal, um, it's probably best to watch the original from 1982. It gets you up to speed with that whole world. And this serves as a sequel to the 1982 Jim Henson classic. So the amazing thing is, like with the amount of CGI and technology available, they still make use in this new series of like puppetry and real model sets without, you know, totally relying on um, CGI. So, and the thing was, watch The Dark Crystal as well, because it holds up very well considering how old it is. And, you know, it's telling the story of the Skeksis and the mystics and the quest of Jen and Kira. And in the age of resistance, it returns us to that mythical land of Thra and unfolds over these 10 amazing episodes. I did, um, a whole podcast review on the show. Like you can go back and check it where I break down each episode. So if you just go back into the archives, you can, you know, watch along. This, this is something no, like it's, 
the series, it's like magical. It's like dark. It's compelling. It, it's something I think Jim Henson would be like extremely proud of. Okay, the next one, Ghostbusters 2. So there's been a ton of renewed interest in Ghostbusters because now we have some of the new offerings. You know, they had the one reboot. Now they're going to have the other one. I'm not even sure when that's going to be coming out now, which looks awesome. The one with Paul Rudd in it. And it makes you remember how awesome Ghostbusters is. Ghostbusters 2, unfortunately, has sort of fallen by the wayside. Uh, and a lot of people like, sort of forget it exists. It's not the, you know, it's not like it's the greatest movie of all time. Like it, it's had that problem of following such a classic movie. Um, and Ghostbusters 2 came out in 1989. And it just has that unfortunate pressure to try to recreate the original hype. And outside of a handful of movies, that is pretty much impossible. So Ghostbusters 2 takes place five years after the events of the first film. And the good thing is all the main actors make a return in this movie. So the criticisms around it were that some people thought it was a bit too much of a rehash. And since the original was so successful, they they watered it down a little bit to cater more to kids and families and get even a wider audience. But it's still worth checking out because it's one of those things everyone forgets that Ghostbusters has a sequel or you probably haven't even seen it in like a decade or two. It's also interesting to watch because what you're seeing unfold on the screen um, compared to what was happening behind the scenes because the actors, a lot of even the crew had a lot of objections to it. And Harold Ramis and the late Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, they actually put the, the script together. Um, and it was focused on the theme of the consequence, the consequences of negative human emotions in big cities, which is a very interesting theme considering what's going on at the moment. So they went through a ton of rewrites on this thing. The movie was made at like breakneck speed and they even had reshoots happening just two months before the movie came out. So you keep all this in mind while watching it and it makes for a very unique viewing experience. Next up, Stranger Things. And, you know, there's not a lot more that can be said about Stranger Things. And I, I don't think any watch list uh, can kind of go without it. And it's one of those things like, you know, no entertainment is perfect, but Stranger Things to me comes pretty close. So if there's the off chance you haven't seen it, this is the perfect time to start. If you've already watched it, this is a great time to return back, especially the first season, because... Looking back now and how successful this show is and, you know, the increase in, in budget and technology and everything that went behind it, you look back and you, you realize how extremely low budget the first series was. So they really had to focus more on like suspense and acting and sleight of hand tricks and lighting and things like that to create it. So it, it creates a lot more drama and intrigue. I like I think the third season was the best for a ton of reasons. And I've got full rundowns again in the older episodes on here uh, of the podcast I've got every episode breakdown of the third season um, hidden things behind the scenes things so again if it's you know a good time to watch the series and you can check back on the podcast and sort of look back into it I think what makes Stranger Things so great is not only the nostalgia factor but how it takes influences from so many 80s classics like horror and teen comedy and science fiction action adventure drama uh, and then it still creates its own originality in the midst of all this great throwback entertainment. Okay, next on the list, who framed Roger Rabbit? So 
watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit is watching the near impossible come to life. And it's available on Disney+. Plus. And this movie could have only happened in the 80s. And the idea that all these major studios allowed their characters to appear at the same time in one film is mind-blowing. Today, there is no way in hell anything like this could happen with how fiercely protected like licensing, trademarks, characters, intellectual properties. You just have to look at all the issues between uh, Marvel Pictures, Sony, and the whole Spider-Man thing and how fiercely um, guarded these are. So this is what makes Who Framed Roger Rabbit so unique. The thing, though, is the movie is still amazing and it holds up incredibly well considering how old it is. And the animation is amazing. And the whole thing, feel it still feels fresh considering the age of it. Um, it stars the amazing Christopher Lloyd, who's right in the middle of the Back to the Future trilogy. I have it on Blu-ray. I've watched it uh, um, both. I'm still a big Blu-ray fan. I love the physical media still. And I don't know. I mean, we do have 4K. I don't know if that'll be the last physical media we have as far as, you know, everything available streaming-wise and the quality that's improved in internet connections. But I like I've watched it on Disney Plus and the Blu-ray. And like to me, the Blu-ray just holds up a little bit better because it's a more pure source. But a movie like Who Framed Roger Rabbit could never happen again. Um, it's also a monumental film because it created a new resurgence in traditional animation on hand-drawn cells. So the success of the film led the way to Disney creating a new golden era in animation with like The Lion King and The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely one to check out. Again, it might be something you haven't seen in years and years, so it's worth looking back on. Okay, next movie, Ready Player One. And I, again, I sincerely hope you've seen Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One based on the book by Ernest Cline. The movie and the book are like love letters to the 80s and pop culture in general and video games. Um, it's all about this dystopian future where people live in the virtual reality called the Oasis. The book and the movie are about a treasure hunt through the Oasis to find... Uh, Halliday's Egg, who is this character sort of like Steve Jobs, I guess, who created everything. And uh, whoever finds it will get control over the most important resource known to man, which is this oasis. So it's a, a treasure hunt through the movie having to solve clues based on, again, 80s pop culture. The movie and the book differ quite a bit, but it's all about incorporating in a lot of that nostalgia and pop culture. So again, um, along with this watch list, I'd say do yourself a favor if you haven't and read the book Ready Player One as well as watch the movie. Try to enjoy both things on its own without comparing the two because that's when a lot of these things fall apart because, you know, a movie will never hold up to a book. A book has so much more time to go uh, into detail and story and in depth and a movie has two hours. So they got to rush into everything. Um, the thing with the, like the book's incredible, but the more I watch the movie, the more I like it. I remember seeing it for the first time in theater and remember and thinking like, this is a movie I know I will watch a lot. And it's one of those things now, if I'm thinking, you know, if you're like not wanting to watch anything new and you just want to watch something you're familiar with and you have a few of those standards. And like for me personally, a few come to mind, it's always like, you know, back to the future or whatever. And now Ready Player One is sort of popping into my head that way. It's sort of taking up its own little place there. So... 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. That's uh, hopefully something you've liked. If not, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Okay, the next thing is, and so specific if you are a wrestling fan and it's old WWF content. So not WWE stuff, but on the the new WWE network, which has a trove of everything ever put out by this company. So I'm talking specifically about when it was a WWF in the 80s. So this yeah, this thing has every pay-per-view ever, every like television show they've done, all these documentaries. It's incredible. So the 80s was this amazing time in wrestling where it was really like exploding and coming into its own and becoming part of pop culture and there's uh again if you grew up in the 80s so you would remember this and there was like this whole rock and wrestling connection with mtv and cindy lopper and then wrestlemania one came so it was it was when the characters were like really larger than life and they were like cartoons coming to life and so here's the specific a uh, couple things i'd recommend i mean again there's so much on here Okay, first one is WrestleMania 2. So if you're a wrestling aficionado, you know WrestleMania 2 is not considered one of the best WrestleManias at all, but it is that true 1980s pro wrestling spectacle. It's it's full 80s cartoon come to life wrestling. And the premise of the event is also very interesting. So WrestleMania 2 took place. So when WrestleMania 1 happened, Vince McMahon and um, the company, they had to put everything into this thing to make it work. And there was no guarantees it was. Like apparently um, Vince McMahon like took out another mortgage on his house. Like if WrestleMania 1 had not worked, there would be no WWE today. But it did work and it was a huge success. So with WrestleMania 2, they wanted to up the ante. So they did it from three different venues at one time. So it was from New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. So the idea is that they would work with the three different time zones. So they would start in New York. Each one would do an hour. So the, the event would be on live in New York. And in the other two arenas, they had big screens where they could watch it. So when hour one was done in New York, they'd move to Chicago. So then in New York, the screens would come down and they'd watch the next two hours until it finished with the last hour in Los Angeles. This was a time of closed circuit TV, which if, again, if you're under 30, you'll probably have to ask your parents what this is. So, um, 
closed circuit is like it, it's like man invented fire the wheel and then closed circuit that's how old it is and Vince McMahon also states that the technology to do this today would be extremely difficult let alone back on April 2nd 1986 interesting side note this is the only Wrestlemania to take place on a Monday which is very weird so there's some awesome moments in this Wrestlemania there's this big battle royal that featured NFL players and William the Refrigerator Perry and this was done in Chicago the main event was Hulk Hogan against King Kong Bundy in a steel cage. I was terrified to death of King Kong Bundy as a kid. Um, I don't know. It just scared the hell to me. I met him at a wrestling event thing probably 20 years later, and he was the nicest guy in the world. So there you go. The other uh, event I would recommend from the WWE Network is WrestleMania 3. So... This is probably the pinnacle moment in the history of this company. And it's Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3 from the now abandoned Pontiac Silverdome in Michigan. This was one of the largest indoor events ever. And I think at the time with over 93,000 people, like indoor event ever worldwide. There's some great matches besides the mythical main event, including uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus the Macho Man, which was considered the best wrestling match ever for like 15 years. Uh, There's Jake the Snake Roberts with Alice Cooper. There was this uh, Little People WWF Superstars match. Uh, There was the Hart Foundation with Danny Davis versus the British Bulldogs with Tito Santana. Also, watch the Andre the Giant documentary on the WWE Network. The network's free for new subscribers for a month, so it's worth checking out. Um, And you don't have to like commit to anything. That Andre the Giant documentary is a fascinating look at all the crazy stuff that went behind happening before this monumental match. Okay, the next movie I'd recommend to watch, and (laughs) bear with me on this one, Howard the Duck. And I'm not kidding. So some movies are so bad you can't watch them. This is bad, but in a different way, and you can get through it. And because it's an absolute train wreck of a movie, uh, it's kind of like a social experiment to watch this thing. Here's why. So Howard the Duck should have been the equivalent of like Ghostbusters or E.T., but it obviously wasn't even close. Everything was there to make this, what is technically the first Marvel movie, everyone forgets that, everything was there to make this thing a hit. First off, you've got George Lucas making it, and he's just finished Return of the Jedi. So, like, studios are just dying to have him do anything. He's got the Midas touch, and he also, the he's had ideas of making a Howard the Duck movie before the original Star Wars came out. He, like, the, the Howard the Duck comics go back into the 70s, I think 1973. I actually have the very first one, maybe 75, but either way, it's the comics have this sort of like film noir, dark sci-fi sort of thing. And that's like right up George Lucas's alley. So this was always on his radar, even before Star Wars. So the idea is like, whoa, this thing could be amazing, you know, based on how amazing all the, the original trilogy was. It's one of the first projects done using industrial light and magic. Um, so even though it's primitive now, the special effects, the technology was in place to tell this story. It also features Leah Thompson, who's fresh off of Back to the Future. So what went wrong? Um, I, the quick story is they just they didn't go the route of the original comic. Like I said, the, the comics are darker and they're cynical and they're more sci-fi based and they went just a little too wacky and a little too, little too cartoony even for 1980 standards 
they didn't capture the essence of Howard. And the whole thing, it really feels like a made-for-TV movie when it should have been, again, like I said, a dark science fiction compelling blockbuster. Everything misses the marks here, the mark here. And it's it's like the best comparison I can give. It's like the vanilla ice of comic book science fiction movies. But it's really worth watching this thing uh, as it's like getting a front row seat to see this disaster take place. So it's definitely worth it. Okay, next one on the list, Crocodile Dundee. Again, if you didn't grow up in the 80s, it's hard to explain what a cultural impact Crocodile Dundee had. It introduced the world to Paul Hogan. It made us familiar with phrases like uh, go walkabout or the bush or that's not a knife, this is a knife. Uh, it's almost <laughs> Crocodile Dundee is kind of like the original Borat. It's this true, you know, fish out of water story of a backwards hick trying to navigate the big city. And it really opened up the Western world to Australian culture, though, and also to the charm of Paul Hogan. So this movie was a box office juggernaut, and it made $328 million when it came out in 1986. You convert that for today, that's $775 million. That That's like Marvel movie territory. Like, for a comedy, it's astounding. That's how big this thing was. The interesting thing, too, when you watch it, is that Paul Hogan basically made it himself. No studios were going to take a chance on him and he financed the whole thing on his own with some help from friends and family and stuff like that. So I think it's a great 80s throwback comedy. Okay, we'll do one more here and it is The Never Ending Story. I'm going to be probably pretty certain you haven't seen this movie in years and that's the case that tends to happen with a classic like this. But it now is a great time to return to this like escapist fantasy and there are not too many other 80s movies. Again, I'm not sure exactly when you grew up, but if you're in this sort of ballpark age range, there's not too many more movies that had such an impact on the kids watching it. It's like, speaking for myself as well, it, it's fantasy and adventure at its best and has a big place in the hearts of uh, 80s kids. The special effects are, of course, dated, and the acting may not be what you remember, but the heart is still there. The NeverEnding Story is one of those films that transports you back to the age you were when you first watched it. So... A um, few interesting things with this is that many forget it's based on a book written by a guy named Michael Ende, or End, and the film only represents the first half of the book, and they originally intended to make a trilogy of the whole thing, and that didn't happen because of legal um, and creative issues, and that led us to, if you really want to go out on a watchless limb, and you probably never heard of this, The NeverEnding Story 2, The Next Chapter which was a complete travesty in all aspects. But again, if you're wanting to see how this thing fell apart, but throw the never ending story on your watch list just to return to this like pure magical fantasy. So we'll, we'll end that here. Uh, hopefully that's some good stuff to keep you going. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. Again, stay safe, stay health, stay well, uh, healthy, stay well. Um, and again, after this, I'll just be back with like regular based shows on all sorts of 80s topics. So hopefully you can use this as just a place to return and, you know, remember some stuff from way back when to keep you happy. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye.